Well, that was such a wonderful time of worshiping together with you. Uh, welcome to Orange Coast Church. Uh, my name is Toby. Uh, I get to lead this church as a pastor, and, uh, and now it's uh, you know it's a it's a it's a brand new season for us, 2019, and in our church coming uh, to really really worship Him and uh, and let's do this journey together. Amen. 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 All right. So. Um, uh, Today we have a wonderful opportunity, as you can see, that we have time of Holy Communion a little bit later, um, and uh, and then we're going to look at some passages today that really, really uh, ministered to me this week, and it's from Luke chapter 4. Uh, but before I get into that, you know, we had a wonderful time of baptism a couple weeks ago, and uh, during that time, somebody mailed this to me and showing me this picture, and I want to show this to you. This is me, and when I was baptized in the pool of Michi Endo. I don't know if you know her, but Linda Endo. And that, that's me right there. That's me. Wow. Yes. And what I really want to highlight is my mom do not age. You know, she looks even better today. So, I mean, I, that, that's something. There you go, mom. I have to give that to you. But anyways, you know, just, just to let you know that, I look happy and I, 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 was, I was good. But I, honestly, at that time, I didn't know what I was doing. To be really honest with you, I was probably nine or ten years old, and I was growing up in a Japanese-speaking congregation, the Nichigo, and uh, I did that because my friend was getting baptized. So I'm like, okay, you know. And but the thing was, but but around that time though, you know, people poured into me, and I got to learn about Jesus. And growing up, growing up, let me just say, growing up, that picture was probably like the peak of my spirituality. Because from that point on, and I'm glad some of uh, the old, my like Sunday school teachers are not here right now. Oh, there, oh, there you are. Oops. Oh, oops. Uh, but I, I, I kind of I wandered off from that point. You know, that was like the highlight. And growing up, it wasn't the same. I mean, it was just, and now I'm standing here as a pastor. And obviously, some of those people, that's the guy that used to, <laughs> I wasn't looking for our partic- audience participation necessarily, but, you, you know, and, and, and I'll just say for the record, like one of the teachers, because my son's in there and he's running around, and then the, the teacher looked at me and said, trust me, you are worse. I'm like, oh, okay, okay, all right, all right, all right, I give up, I give up. But, you know, I get it. You know, it's, it's hard because you saw me going through puberty and adolescence and identity crisis and girlfriends and you know all that stuff you saw me doing that i know it's like now i'm the pastor you know now he's the pastor well today we look at the story of jesus he goes back to his hometown and believe it or not even jesus was not like necessarily fully embraced and welcomed at his home i i feel very embraced here so just don't 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 just i'm not trying to compare that but i kind of get the fact that jesus in his hometown were not accepting him because i'm sure people were commenting him running around my backyard or or, or playing with my son and and it, you know just the whole concept of baby jesus and adolescence jesus and and growing up and and, and they, they saw him, and they could not accept him for who he was, or maybe because of who he was that they saw, that they did not accept the message that Jesus came back to share, and to the point where they tried to kill him. I mean, man, Jesus. Like, 
I don't even feel that. I'm, I'm here and I feel loved. I don't feel like I'm going to get killed or anything like that. But Jesus, he, they tried to kill him. They could not accept him, even though he has never, ever sinned. Even though Jesus' message was right there trying to set them free, they were not able to accept the truth, set them free. What got in the way? For them to receive that message. What got in their mind? Not seeing, being able to see Jesus right in front of them. Giving them everything that they were hoping for. And even now. um, To us, for us. We look at Jesus. And things get in the way of you fully embracing his message of truth. Like for example, doubts. Or the sufferings that you're facing. Maybe you're sick and maybe it's not healing. And you're just like, what is going on? Maybe some people or some parts of the world, it's poverty. Like, why are we suffering so much? Why are we so poor? Or maybe other places, you're feeling this oppression that we just don't get it. If you're there, God, hello, why? I mean, those could be the things that get in the way of you and Jesus. And that could prevent you from experiencing that freedom that He is offering right in front of us. Especially... We have a message today for those who are struggling to fully trust in Him. So if you have your Bibles, would you open to Luke chapter 4? And we're going to look at that and um, chapter 4, verse 14 and forward. And we're going to go in that section. And past week, uh, uh, Pastor Phil talked about how Jesus went through this 40 days of temptation in the wilderness. And after that, His ministry is taking off. And remember, he got baptized, and that was the beginning of his public ministry. And his ministry and, and his, his reach is expanding, expanding to the people around. And we're going to pick up from verse 14, and I'm going to read that right here. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. Luke doesn't tell us that more information because from here to Galilee, he goes back to his hometown in Nazareth. And it doesn't provide much information, but we know from other gospel accounts that Jesus already at that time was teaching around and people were following him. There's a following around Jesus by that time. And there's been signs and miracles that were taking place. Remember how he turned water into wine. Those are the things that took place around that time. So people were in astonishment, like, whoa. His teaching is amazing. He's doing things that we've never seen before. So there's a genuine buzz around these cities to city. And now he's going back to Nazareth where he grew up. And let's find out what happens. Verse 16. He went in Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll of prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. So imagine Jesus holding up the scroll. I mean, this is the word of God reading the word of God. I mean, this is amazing scene. Can you just imagine the scroll is being handed over and, and this news about Jesus was going around the city and back his hometown. And they're like, oh, our, our, 
or, uh, or baby Jesus is coming back to town. Maybe we should give him a shot. He should come into our synagogue, and maybe we'll give him a, a, a guest-preaching rabbi opportunity. So they're like, oh, come on, you could, you could read to us. So Jesus came, as he, was, he would do every week. He would go on the, on the Sabbath, he'd go to the, and then he's been asked to give him the scroll. So I say, hey, rabbi, would you read? And I almost sense this kind of like challenging attitude of saying, hey, show us what you got. You know, you, you, we, we've been hearing about all about you. Show us what you got kind of thing. And um, Jesus holds this and he reads. Just imagine that scene, right? I don't know if this was a sign to him, that Isaiah 61 passage, because that's what he's going to refer to. Or maybe he chose. We don't know that. But this is what Jesus reads. And let's check this out right here. Let's read this together from verse 18 on. Here we go. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the ear of the Lord's favor. And just, just imagine those words coming out of Jesus' mouth. This is the combination of Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 2 and Isaiah 58 verse 6. He combines this and he's reading, presenting that. And people there knew this story because that was a popular passage from Isaiah on the scroll. And they were like, yeah, give it to us, give it to us, because that really got them going. Because this was written about 700 years before the time of Jesus and this is talking, written in the time of when the Israelites or the Jews, they were in Babylonian captivity. They were enslaved. They lost everything. They needed hope. And through Isaiah, God gave them that hope through those words. And Israelites back then, they were comforted that even though they're suffering right now, there will be deliverance in the future. It is prophecy about the coming Messiah, the Savior to come. So the people in the synagogue, there are obviously uh, remnants of the Israelites and they're Jews and they're listening to this and they're like, okay, all right. They're, they're being, uh, and they, they know the words that are supposed to come after that Jesus read. And there's something that is coming up. For example, grass is greener on the what? Other side. You know that. Or, or, or no man is an... Oh, that's, that's, that's easy, because I already said and, so it has to be starts with the, you know, about, anyways. Uh, but, you know, it, but, you know, you know that it's coming. It's like that experience for these people, the Jews. They're like, okay, because what followed this passage in Isaiah is this right here. And we don't have to read the whole thing, but this is this almost exact same version of Luke. And this is from Isaiah 61. Do you have that up here? We don't. Okay, so it says right here. There it is. Okay, so the last verse is so we read this whole very similar message here to proclaim that I'm reading from verse two, proclaim the ear of the Lord's favor. And let's read that at the end. And the day of vengeance of our God. And Jesus, for some reason, he did not say that. And they're like, what? You know, it's like I just stop and says grass is greener on the. See, you can't help it, but, but, but so they couldn't help it, but like, Jesus, come on. See, because that's the part that got them rallied up. See, justice will be served. I mean, this is like the best pep talk that you could ever give a Jew at that time. They're like, okay, come on, because right now they're also under Roman, under Roman rule. So they were like, okay, this is what gets us going. But Jesus did not say that. And this is what happened in verse 20. This, we're going back to Luke chapter 4, verse 20. Then Jesus rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendants and sat down. 
everyone's eye or eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fastened on him. Can you imagine? Like laser focused, like what? They're like so locked on to Jesus. That got everyone's attention. Jesus intentionally did not complete the sentence. And we'll get into the why later. But he sat down. And which means when he sits down, that means, okay, you read the scroll, read the Bible, and then read the word of God, and you sit down to teach. So Jesus is now about to teach. And trust me, he gave a teaching that day. It was shocking to them. Let's read this in verse 21. Here you go. He began by saying to them, Today, this, you can read, you can read, come on. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious word that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Wow. So what's happening is Jesus said he is the fulfillment of that message in Isaiah. He is the long-awaited Messiah. They got super excited. Oh, that means we are going to get the vengeance. We're going to get revenge. I mean, that got them. But then, but then reality kicked in all of a sudden, as you might imagine. Immediately, they kind of started to be skeptic, you know. But isn't that Joseph, the carpenter's son that used to run around and... You know, I don't know if Jesus did some pranks or anything, but, you know, I, I don't, maybe not. Probably. I shouldn't. Anyways, you know what I'm talking about. They're like, that, that's Joseph's son. It's our baby. What, what, is he the one? I can't believe it. Well, if he's the one, I want to see something. Show us. So they wanted a miracle to take place. Make us believe, Jesus. That was their attitude. And then the sad part is they heard the stories of Jesus. People were talking. I mean, I mean, Galilee and Nazareth, it's not that far. So, I mean, this story of Jesus is spreading and they're hearing these stories about Jesus. And there's like all like kind of excited about the hometown kid doing wonderful things in other area. But it's a different story when they come into my house. Right. And they're like, all right, give it to us. And Jesus knew that. And this is what he said in verse 23. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, No prophet is accepted in his hometown. See, there are all kinds of miracles that have taken place. But they were demanding him to do it right now. And Jesus knew that. And I sense this genuine, sincere sadness in Jesus that they did not accept him because of the fact that he, they knew them growing up. There was a sadness that, that these neighbors and friends, they, they, they could not see beyond the fact that they, he grew up with them. And then Jesus goes on and talks about these two people from the Bible, which is the Old Testament in our case. They talk about these, these people, and very briefly, but it's very interesting. These people that Jesus referred to were the ones representing the poor. The prisoner, the blind, the oppressed. They were these Gentile people. One was named, or well, we don't even have a name, widow of Zarephath. And then there was another soldier named Naaman. And, and these two, they were Gentiles. They were not the, her, the heritage of the Israel line of 
you know, godly line of family. They were Gentiles, but what they did was they trusted God in the promise that God was making. And with faith, they saw God's deliverance. They saw what, Jesus, or what God could do, even though they were a Gentile. They experienced that. And that type of faith, these people in Nazareth did not have. Verse 28, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. Verse 30, but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. What made them so mad? What got into them? To the point where they want to kill their hometown child? I mean, there's some intense feeling going on here. And Jesus was right there in front of them proclaiming the good news and giving them the message of freedom right there. But the fact was, they, meaning these people in Nazareth and the Israelites, and they actually represent the whole Jewish community. They believe that this message, the prophecy that is all over the Bible, was only for them, only for the Jews, not for the Gentiles, not for those dogs out there. It's for us, the chosen people of God. And this is, we're going to be delivered out of the oppression. We're going to be given this, this, this wonderful reward. But yet, Jesus calls out their unfaithfulness. They were not poor or blind in their eyes. These people thought they're good people. So the words of Jesus, by comparing or maybe contrasting to the Gentile people, they offended them. They're like, not them. We're special. I mean, that was in their mindset. That got them so furious. How could you... I, did you just say, and, and they were so mad, so mad to the point where they could not have any sense of humility receiving the truth that Jesus was offering them that day to set them free. So what did they do? They rejected him. They completely rejected him. They threw him out. And that meant not just literally threw him out. That means I, you're not my teacher anymore. You're completely excommunicated. You're done. And they try to kill him. That's what happened. But Jesus walked right through them and went on his way. And we don't even know he ever came back to those people. See, they had an expectation of what a Messiah should do. They knew what was going to save them. They had an idea and what a Messiah should be, what a Savior should be, but Jesus did not check off those boxes whatsoever. Now, let's turn that back to us. How about you? What is your expectation of what God is going to do? Because what happens when God doesn't perform up to your expectations? I mean, what do you do when Tom Brady doesn't live up to his expectation? The Boston fan will get mad at me. He was like, what, what is going on? There's this certain type of entitlement there. What if Jared Goff threw an interception? It's like, what the, you know, those, those, those kind of feelings. And we sometimes do that to God. Like, God, you're supposed to do this. Hello? What about God? What happens when God is silent? When you want him to speak? You're like, come on. Come on, answer me. Hello, 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 hello. And he is just dead. What happens 
I came across this article on uh, Fox News. Um, it's an app, and then, um, and then I think everyone could resonate with this story. I'm going to read this for you. The author or the writer says, I know someone who's trapped in a dead-end job right now. He's been there for years, and he's trying to make the best of it. But realistically, his resume is probably too far too stale for him to get a different job for which he is qualified. I know a woman who has gone, who, who has on an ongoing chronic condition that doctors cannot fix. You'd never know it, it if you met her. The embarrassing symptoms, the limitations. She longs for some medical breakthrough that will fix the problem, but there is little hope. For that, and for whatever reason, God hasn't healed her. I know a number of single people who long to be married. They've checked all the right boxes. They're financially stable, physically fit, and godly, but no one, nobody seems to notice them. I was working out the other day, and I got frustrated as I come, came to God with one of my own requests for Him to end suffering in my life. Finally, I tried to make myself feel better by saying, I guess that's my story. What I meant was that this is my cross to bear, and I need to live my story without complaining. But I started sensing that this is my story wasn't quite right. Then this thought hit me. This isn't your story of suffering. This is Christ's story of suffering. How many of us today suffering? Doubt. Cannot take this. Or know someone who's going through extreme suffering. Mist of this dead end. Is there any unanswered questions? Is there a struggle to truly promise or trust in His promise? Where are we this morning? How many times have we said, Hello, God, are you there? How many of us said that before? Nobody, huh? Okay, you're good people. <laughs> I, I don't need to be here. You know, the thing is, it's okay to complain. God hears you. But we cannot start bending the truth. The truth is, sin entered the world. Therefore, there is suffering. But the presence of suffering does not mean the absence of God. The Bible does not promise us life comfortable. In fact, Bible warns us that it will be the very opposite. But it does say in Romans 8, 26, the Spirit helps us when we are weak. In our weakness, the Spirit helps us. The Spirit of God helps us. That's what it says. Bible never says good things happen to good people. We say that. The world say that. Because we, we like that idea. But what the Bible says is that we're not good people. We fall short of the glory of God because we have sinned. We're bad people. There's consequences to that. But the Bible says, this is what the Bible says, the good thing happens to those who wait upon the Lord. That's Romans 8.25. See, we sometimes 
could use our emotions or what the world is saying to bend the truth of the Bible. But it is, we have to be very careful that, remember, remember, Jesus did not finish that sentence when he referenced Isaiah. He did not say the day of vengeance of God has fulfilled. He did not, he, um, uh, he intentionally omitted that part because that has to be fulfilled later when Jesus comes back and welcomes you to his home. That's when the suffering really ends, right? I mean, that on the other side of heaven, that's when the suffering will completely, completely be forgotten. Until then, Jesus is with you, with us in the suffering. Isn't that the good news? He is with you, taking the suffering for you, with you. And we are still in the Lord's favor. We are in the ear of the Lord's favor. That, that, that whole where he stopped and where Jesus is, it's still ongoing. He is the answer. He is the fulfillment of those prophecies in your life. And then when the time comes, the day of vengeance will come. But until that day, we have a life to live. We have a, a people to, to serve with. We have a ministry to continue on. We have this life with Jesus to live. Yes, we were once poor, so far away from the favor of the Lord. We were prisoners to sin. We were blinded by our own fleshly desires, oppressed by guilt and shame. But Jesus came into your life and to set you free. Isn't that true, church? Isn't that what happened? And he has set us free. If we think we're not free from that, then it is a lie. Jesus has taken that for you. And now he is with you right now, right here. To be, He is fulfilling that good news in you, with you, right here and right now. Because he took on that suffering on that cross. He took care of that. We are no longer slaves. No more. Slaves no more. And there are. Too many people who are enslaved still. Spiritually, physically, church, we are freed to set others free. We are free to proclaim the good news of Jesus to the world that we live in. We have to overflow. We have to overflow. And that is why we've been set free. We've been set free Jesus gave you the freedom so that we now can proclaim the good news of the Lord. So please experience that freedom today. See Jesus eye to eye right now and receive that freedom today, which is available for you. Let's look at our weekly challenges. Let's read Luke 4, verse 14 to 30. And then also, here's a story in 1 Kings. And if you could take a picture, take it home with you. And please, please take a look at 1 Kings 17, 7 through 16. This is the reference that Jesus makes. And this is the story of this widow in Zarephath that she just had this, she was extremely poor. He was extremely poor. And then Elijah asked her to give up her stuff. She had nothing to give. Had she had a lot of stuff, maybe she would have refused. But she was poor to the poor, poorest of the poor. And she gave something and blessed God and blessed the people. And, and we, there's something that we can learn from that. What do you discover from that? Grow. How has the truth in the Bible have comforted you, set you free in the past? But how has it also challenged you? What are some of the Bible verses that you just like, you don't even want to look at it because it's so challenging. Talk about that amongst your life together groups. And then overflow. Please, 
I encourage someone this week who is going through a suffering because I know, you know, there's somebody out there in your life as we speak. Let's be an encouragement to them. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. Thank you for this wonderful opportunity of worship as we listen to the word that Jesus spoke to the people in the synagogue. And God, help us to have an eye with our faith to see the message of Jesus being fulfilled right now, right here. It is so troubling when we go through the hardships and sufferings and there's physical ailments and and emotional distress and spiritual attacks However, you are with us, taking all the suffering for us because for that reason you have resurrected and that gives us comfort than any other thing. So God, we look to you today for the wonderful message of Jesus that you are with us and then you have set us free. We could have a different mindset. We could have a different outlook of life. So with that message of freedom, help us to set others free who are still very much enslaved. And just like we were once before. Or maybe you feeling right now, hey, you might be able to, we might be able to go out and identify with those pain. Identify with those suffering that says, you know, let's look to Jesus together. Because no matter what we try or do, it is Him who is the answer. So God, with that promise, help us to go from here. Help us to overflow and go to somebody with the love that you have given us, to somebody that is in our lives right now who is still very much lost, suffering. So God, we ask you for your hand upon our lives and an encouragement and a push on our back so that we must go We go from here. We thank you for the message of hope. In Jesus' name, amen. back and i am now here transitioning into the time of communion and today this has been a moment that i was so excited for that uh, pastor jenny today will be leading us in a time of holy communion and it is just such a joy as you could resonate with me that there's this passion in her there's this joy in her that is just overflowing and he's she's gonna lead us today in a time of communion so uh Let's welcome Jenny.